Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. I'm Leiti Sue, host of Word of Mouth. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Happy Sunday. Welcome to the main course on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Alexis McLaughlin, and excited to have uh, Chris Jekyll in studio with me. He's the executive chef and owner of Alanda. Hey, Alexis. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, our pleasure. Um, so you're also, we're, we're having you on the show, um, you're participating in this year's 2015 uh, Red Campaign, the um, culinary, you know, arm has branched off um so it's the eat red drink red year yeah the restaurant is so um the way we're participating anyway is uh, some of our dishes in the restaurant i have the red parentheses around them and we're um donating portion of the proceeds to the charity so you know we're you know we're happy and and really it's an important cause and and um you know we're happy to help wherever we can and we're really excited and, and glad we were able to be in, invited to be involved and then able to participate it's really interesting. So the red the red organization itself has been operating since 2006, and it's you know it's a charity um, that raises awareness uh, and funds in the fight against AIDS, and they are doing this. I you know I, I learned a lot. I, I researched the organization because I really was a little unclear what they were doing, um, but they partner with big brands and. You know, every year they've done partnerships with music and partnerships with fashion. So I thought it was really interesting that they're coming now to food. Um, and you know, how do you get how do you get involved? You said that they invited you to participate. Well, you know, Alanda um, to participate in in the program. Yeah. So I mean, for me, it's about networking and contacts. And so I got I was reached out to from the organization and sort of said, Hey, we'd like we'll love to have you involved and participate and, and this is sort of the programs we're running, is this something you would feel comfortable doing? Um so for me it was really an you know, a, a no brainer once that sort of happens. It's something that um I can't say I, I, I can say I relate to. I don't have a direct sort of um influence through HIV or AIDS, but I had mentioned earlier that I do have um experience with terminal disease and, and things that aren't potentially incurable and, and constantly having to fund them and deal with them and it's and it's it's hard for people to understand um what it's like emotionally and mentally and and economically to deal with something that you're going to for the rest of your life have to figure out a way to accommodate. You know? Yeah. And so when when they came to me and asked me it was something that I really felt was important to both myself as a human being and important to the world to sort of help all so many people that are less fortunate than myself or other people that are, you know, involved in things that um, they can't necessarily help or, or cure. So when you were, when you were 29, they found a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. Um, How, how does, how was that identified? What, what? well, I was, I, you know, I, 
had a couple of fainting episodes, which, and I was never a fainter, you know, like never in my life has that happened. So, I mean, frankly, I was overexerting myself. I was working to a hundred hours a week and like, you know, I was being a chef, you know, (laughs) I mean, it was just what it was. Um, so that wasn't necessarily the cause of it, but because that happened, they ran some tests and like a CT scan and MRI and they discovered something that, you know, was frankly the size of a golf ball in my frontal right lobe. Um, so, you know, it's something that now I, I, again, and I mentioned being related to, it's something that there is no cure for. It's just something that you need to monitor and deal with. And some people get lucky and they, they extraction, which is surgery, you, you get what you need out. But very, very few people get that. So it's something that you sort of just deal with and, and continue to deal with. So, you know, I'm biannually, twice a year, I have to sit in an MRI and have a conversation with a doctor. And I've been through surgery twice now. I'll, I'll probably go through surgery a third time. Um, I'm hoping that as we get more of it out, it takes longer before I have to go through this surgery again, you know, but but that's sort of what it is. And, and you know, so I'm firsthand experience in regards to dealing with this sort of thing emotionally and physically. And, and so it's, you know, I really can relate to the difficulties of it and the emotional roller coasters of it and and you know the the how hard it is to ask for help when you need it you yeah. know it's 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 very difficult to sort of ask for that and and again i'm fortunate enough to be in a situation where i have great doctors and and i have great health insurance and i have you know i'm my family's from new york so we have the right connections and do i see the best brain surgeon in new york yes i do but like and I've, I've, you know, we're talking about one charity here, but I'm going off on a tangent on a different charity now. But well, I think it's, you know, I think it's uh, interesting and, and important that you know this, the charity work for you know HIV and AIDS. It's it's bringing awareness and money and treatment for those who need it. And I think it's interesting that you have a connection to you know when when they ask you to help, you said that, you know, I. I want to on on so many different reasons, mm-hmm. you know, on so many different levels, because I've felt the enduring, you know, um, pressure of something that's not going away. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, there's lots of reasons why. I mean, I, I think it's you know a, a major epidemic in the world, and 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 it's something that I can really appreciate. And I and you know we're giving people by nature as chefs, and and that's something that. When you get given the opportunity to to give back to people, whether it be your you know your prep guy or dishwasher who's had a death in the family and can't financially handle the funeral, or like what whatever it is, when you're lucky enough and dedicated enough to end up in a position where you can help people, it's it, it's it's important that you do so. Yeah, absolutely. What um what do you what do you hope to see? You know the the culinary kind of world bring to to this kind of cause like what is what's unique that that you know people in food can do for hiv awareness or for the red organization well i think i mean i'm not totally sure that the the food in the chef world is as large as some of the other red campaigns that have happened motorola several years ago you know those sort of things are large but but this day and age, what I think chefs bring and restaurants bring is entertainment factor, which is what, you know, Bono, for instance, and rock and roll sort of did. I'm not comparing chefs to Bono by any means. But but we're sort of in this realm where the media is really hungry for what chefs are doing and, and what their involvement in the world is. And, and I think that'll help continue to spread the cause and to help spread awareness because so many people in the world are really 
gravitating towards the culinary world and what chefs do and represent. And, and that gives us the opportunity to help spread, spread the word because so many people are interested in us. It's amazing. The, the, uh, you know, revolution in, in where chefs are now and where chefs, you know, were 10, 15 years ago, there's, you know, there's this celebrity world that's popped up around food and food culture. And it's, you know, Mario Batali is actually, uh, you know, partnered on for the Red Art organization. Mm -hmm. And he's in the early days, you know, with Emeril Lagasse and um, Ina Garten and, and all these other, uh, you know, TV chefs that kind of brought the culture there i don't know if the public was kind of you know going that way anyway and i'm sure you know internet and food photography and everything else has increased you know just the popularity but the the pull and the influence on trends that chefs have that restaurants have it's yeah. unbelievable it's really it's a remarkable transition and we could talk about this forever some of it's really positive and some of it's really, <laughs> really negative frankly More but pressure, you know well it is what it is i mean yeah. but it but it's a part of what we are as business people now and as as entertainers and you know we mentioned giving and and us being givers by nature chefs whether we're most positive people in the world are not it's a different topic. You know? <laughs> or, or just able to hire someone who's very good at being yes, the hus yes. hospitable um, friend. But, but regardless of whether or not you're an aggressive chef or a friendly chef or a positive chef, we're still givers by nature. And no matter no matter what chef you talk to, they're, they are making people feel good is what they do for a living. And it, and it is influenced by them. And, and charity work such as this or any other charity work is just an extension of that desire and that want and that, and that passion to, you know, make people happy. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Um, you know, before you, you got started in this world before, you know, being a chef was, was as, uh, viewed as, as, you know, high as it is today. What you said, you just, you knew, when you were young, you knew this is what you wanted to do. So I've been doing this since high school. Um, I went to vocational school with BOCES. You're from New York. You've probably heard of BOCES. I was the only student in my class that didn't get kicked out of their regular high school. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle real school, so here you go. Learn to trade, kid. <laughs> so I was really one of the only students in my class that was there because that's what I had chosen to do with my life. Um, so, you know, I could... I, I knew very early that this is sort of what I wanted to do, and there was a great deal of pushback from my parents, um, my guidance counselor, you know, all these, a lot of people. I'm from I'm from Long Island in a reasonably upper-middle-class sort of neighborhood, and it's not necessarily the way I was raised, but it's where my family figured out a way to position themselves. My Leite and I had a conversation on, uh, in this program about how strong I, I feel about my mother. Um, but, but so anyway, she managed to put herself in a position to, for myself and my brother to go to a decent high school in an upper middle class sort of neighborhood. So there was no one that in that neighborhood that thought what I was choosing to do was a profession. Like it was yeah. like, I think my mom's exact quote is, why would you ever want to do that? There's nothing but drug addicts and losers. I think that's the exact <laughs> quote. Mm. Yeah, yeah, thanks mom. Did you, <laughs> well, did you, did you learn I mean, cooking at home was was this you know did were you introduced to food and to cooking at home or was this something that you picked up out, outside of the home? Um, I think I attribute my appreciation for food to my grandmother, my mother's mom. Okay. Um, so uh, my parents were my parents were separated when I was young, when I was seven. So my grand, my grandparents essentially raised me from from seven till when I could handle myself on my own. Um, 
so my grandmother had a garden in the backyard and she was an Italian American and like you know you'd come in and they're sauce cooking or chicken stock boiling or like so I really got to eat differently than I think most American children in my age group did you know it wasn't McDonald's it was red bell peppers and apple cider vinegar was a snack I, I got instead of and some salt instead of sort of potato chips or that was sort of the way I so I think that helped I don't necessarily know if it caused it but it certainly helped. it was an introduction yeah it was an introduction and appreciation for fresh produce and homemade foods yeah um, but Mom wasn't on board. Well, I guess it's well, something that you you work so hard. You put your son in like a good high school. You want him to be a lawyer. Yeah, totally. Like, and my mom owns an accounting firm, so she's very like not risk oriented. And so it's something that she really was not. Ha- I mean, she's very supportive at this point. I've. I guess well, I'm, I now guess I've that done you're okay. executive okay. owner, <laughs> like, but but it's something that she. It took a very long time for her to like sort of say she was proud of me or she was happy for me or that sort of thing. It took a very long time to get there, and um, but it's you know it's the choice I made, and I think that frankly for the choice that I've made it as a career, I've done pretty well for myself. Yeah, so, I'd say yeah. so. Yeah, you're doing all right. Well, I you know I always thought that it'd be, a, you know, the a true miracle to have a kid that knows what they want and is driven towards that goal but you know that's hard i I, I agree with you it's i mean it's i i personally feel like there's less and less people that do that in life in general regardless of what profession they choose um but yeah i mean that'd be that would be the ideal world like find somebody that's driven and wants to get up and work hard for their their lives and a living it's it's something that i mean you're right it's it's ideal so how did you how did you go about um, getting into the industry? You went to vocational high school. Mm-hmm. Did you go right into restaurants, right in for like kind of the experience track, um, or did you go for more? I more went school to I after? went to school. So the deal with my mom was the only way she would allow me to pursue this was if I got a bachelor's degree. So at the time there was only one school that offered that in the hospitality industry, and it was Johnson Wales. So. I went to Johnson Wales, so that was the deal. Like, I if I wanted to do this, that was she'd let it happen, but I had to get a bachelor's degree. So, um, I went to Johnson Wales. I got a bachelor's and bachelor's BS in culinary arts, whatever. I have a bachelor of science <laughs> in arts. Like, okay, sweet, like, <laughs> whatever that whatever that means. Um, and then I went to work for uh, my first job in New York was Larry Forgione, Mark's Mark Forgione. I'm, I'm, I guess people are listening to the show. They know, they know, they know <laughs> they the food world. Know the backstory. <laughs> they might, they, do. they might know who Mark is. Um, I hope they know who his father is because he's really an iconic and a legend, and he's someone that I, I believe doesn't get any of the credit that he deserves. I mean, he's the person that coined the term "free range chicken," like mescaline salad. Like these things came from Larry Forgione. Like whether mm-hmm. or not he gets credit for it, I think is is a sa- is is in some way a sad thing because I certainly think he deserves it, and he really created this movement he was one of the forefathers of this movement in america toward local sourcing and and knowing where your ingredients come from and 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 it's something that i think is very sad in a way that he doesn't get the credit for because he really really influenced so many chefs in america whether it be through secondhand or firsthand he really was a founding father of what american cuisine is and yeah i was fortunate enough to like have a connection to get into his restaurant and the rest is sort of what it is. Yeah, hard work in history. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to go for a quick uh, break, and then we will be right back. 
Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Before you're dead and gone, no, there ain't no telling. Yeah, we all just bet. Just playing our hands. Welcome back to the main course here with Chris Jekyll, uh, executive chef and owner of Alanda. Um, we are talking about uh, his involvement or, you know, the, the restaurant's involvement in this year's uh, Red Organization campaign, Eat Red, Drink Red. Um, also just about coming up, uh, learning, you know, how to be a chef, <laughs> where where you go to do that, um, all those. Yeah, I don't know if you ever actually learned to be a chef. It's like, it's like anything in the world. It's const- constant involvement and man- management. And that's like, I don't know if you'll ever learn 100% how to do that well. Did you expect that going in? I feel like that's always the side of it people kind of ignore, they you know, they they forget about, they don't think about, but it you know, to be a chef, to be owner, and it sounds like you set out on a goal where you wanted that. You knew that you were going to have your own place. I I definitely set a goal and and feel like I've, I've achieved some of that goal anyway. Um so it was I always knew that I was going to need to to manage people, but I can't say that I was prepared for the emotional side of how difficult that can be, you know, like, and not learning to not take it personally, because it's not necessarily about you and your performance or, you know, good people that you invest your time in leave you all the time. And, and, and that side of it, I would say I was not prepared for, you know, when you're a sous chef, it's sort of like, it's the chef's fault or it's on the chef's job or whatever. It's it's not, it's easy for you to not take that personally but once it's you it's sort of difficult to appreciate that and to understand that it's not necessarily you doing a bad job or you being a poor leader or you um being too nice or you know i've i've had i mean honestly like i've had people leave because i was not nice enough and i have people leave because i was too nice you know it's like you can't you look at me you're like what do I got to do to win here, man? The, the, the Goldilocks dilemma. <laughs> like I, don't know if, me, I don't know if I've ever heard that one before. <laughs> well, you have, you have young, ambitious, hungry cooks that want to get pushed yeah. around, you know, and, and, and you try to learn to not, I've tried to learn to not be as aggressive as I potentially was when I was younger or the, frankly, the chefs I've worked for were majority of them were considerably more aggressive than I ever have been, you know? Yeah. And, and so I've had people leave because they would like to get pushed around harder than I than I'm going to do. Do you think that the, do you think there's a changing trend in the culinary world? I you know, um, I, I I think the the really overly aggressive you know we chef. It's it seems like it, it, depending on where you go, that is or isn't always I, present nowadays. I, it's present less and less, um, and I think that. Honestly, I don't necessarily think it's about the dynamic of the chef themselves. I think it's about the necessity of the industry and where it's gone. Um, you know, 20 years ago, 17 years ago, whatever, when I started in New York, it was still a place where there was only 100 restaurants you wanted to work in, like in the country, potentially. You know, and now with where we've gone with the media and and the chef's world and television and, and this sort of thing, they... A lot of young cooks think they can go back home to Cleveland if they're from Cleveland and work for Jonathan Sawyer. And Jonathan Sawyer's a wonderful chef and an outstanding human being. And they might be right in some ways. Um, 
And a long time ago, it was every hungry cook came to New York. Every single one of them. So the talent pool was much less diluted than it is now. Um, so now it's it's really something that I think is a necessity as a chef. You people want to be happy, you know, and they they don't they don't come to you solely because you're in New York anymore, you know. And it's so you keeping them happy is the is the harder part. And that screaming, yelling tyrant of a chef is much less likely to retain people and find people because people want to be happy and they want to and they can go somewhere else because yeah. there's so, there's so many restaurants they can just go somewhere else there's so many other restaurants in the world that it's like okay well you know they could walk out on me and go get another job tomorrow because of how diluted and how difficult it is to find good staff members um, and I've seen it happen like just just oh, I'm not going to take a shit Jeff like I'll see you later and not like <laughs> not come in tomorrow and then like you know, me walk into a kitchen, and I was in Morimoto last night, and I worked for them for a long time. Um, and I looked through the window, and there's there's some girl that like you know walked out on me working the line, you know, like, and I spent three years working there, like you know, nobody yeah. picked up the phone. She probably didn't put me on a resume, you know, like, <laughs> and like she just you know gets a job. It's it's something that it's so difficult to find people that there's no reason for them to deal with it unless they. Really? So, the, so the chefs had to soften up. Yeah, like that's just, market demands. Yeah, yeah, that's the necessity, you know. So, I mean, some of them have not, and some of them put up with it, and and there's still, I'm sure, a small pool of staff members that are willing to put up with it and ambitious enough to deal with it, and and there's still those institutions that are so worthwhile that yeah, absolutely, they can they can still do that. They can they can still do that, but. But it's something that, you know, there's there's very few of them, and, and it's an institution. I don't think there's very many new operations that open up in that mentality that are going to be able to succeed. How has your, your staff embraced um, working with uh, charitable organizations? It's actually, I, I was first introduced to Alanda um, after, just, just a few months after you guys opened, mm-hmm. at a charity event that was being hosted. Right, Which right. is, a you know... Incredibly generous use of space. Um, um, you know, I think, to be perfectly frank, I don't think that my staff has embraced it in the same level that I have. They're yeah. all happy to do it, and they're all proud of the successes of the restaurant and what we do for them. But I haven't seen much um, input or desire from them to bring in more. Yeah, they're they're all happy and proud to do it, so they embrace it when it's sort of come from me but what i haven't seen yet and maybe this conversation will spark that you know i'm hoping it does because i'm certainly a very generous person when when i can be um i you know i I would love to see more of that from my staff they're they're all proud of it and happy to do it and and put all of their efforts into doing it and making them successful by all means um but i haven't necessarily seen any of them embrace a charity and and sort of approach me about participating in that because I, I certainly would you know and and you know we're I'm involved in another charity that's called the brain tumor foundation which you know is one of the reasons why I'm I can relate to this terminal disease sort of situation and and it's something that I've wholeheartedly embraced and and it's you know I would love to see my team have something close to them and approach me and ask us to participate in that because it's Something that I would happily do, and and I, and I think it would make them more proud than they already are to work in to work at Alonda and work with me and and our team. Do you think that's a Do you think that that's something that they 
feel comfortable with I, or know that is, you know, an available option? I think they, they know it's an available option. And I, I think that, you know, frankly, for me, I didn't, I didn't become as charitable as I am now until I felt emotionally, financially capable of doing so. Yeah. Um, so Your security helps. Yeah. So I think that that, you know, I did less when I was younger because I wasn't comfortable enough to sort of embrace it and and didn't have the power necessarily to do so. And, and now that I do, I, I'm embracing it more. Um, so I didn't necessarily get involved in that sense as a sous chef. I did what I, what they do is, you know, be embrace it through my, my supervisor and my chef and, and be passionate about it and participate and give it all that I could. Um, but I wasn't necessarily empowered from my own personal sense to do that, not necessarily through my supervisors or my chefs or my, my leaders, you know, I was, I was very, very happy to participate, but I wasn't necessarily emotionally or financially in a position to feel like I could make a difference. And, and so I think that ultimately has more to do with it than their desire. Well, maybe that that's something that you can, you can bring. And, you know, it's something that we were talking about earlier is, is what can the culinary world, um, bring, you know, charitable causes and stuff, especially when, you know, those that exist outside of, uh, you know, hunger and, and um, food insecurities and things that directly relate to food mm-hmm. uh, is, it's, you know, it's not always having the money. Sometimes it's it's having, donating the time, donating mm-hmm. the space or just, you know, having having a connection saying like, I, I really believe in this. I personally am you know don't have the funds to do anything but you know i know i know someone maybe maybe i can ask them if 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 they'd be interested in in helping i got Mm -hmm. really good advice when i was younger that i just had never looked at before i was uh i needed i needed some some help um and some direction kind of like figuring out where i was going and, and kind of getting on a path and someone who had started, you know, founded a company, um, you know, through investors, through a few, you know, to like $2 million in investors the first year, mm-hmm. um, told me, he's like, you know, you're not, you're not asking people for help. What you're doing, people, people are really generous and altruistic and will surprise you all the time. And what you're doing is you're offering them the opportunity, um, to, to, to be generous. You're offering them the opportunity to share something with you that they've learned to, you know, um, use, use their resources in a way that, you know, they, they would like to find a way you're, you're, you're making it more efficient for, for someone to, to give back. It's an interesting perspective. I mean, I've raised a great deal of capital in the last few years and, and I, I never really looked at it that way, you know, and, and I sort of have always looked at it my parents own an accounting firm, so I've always sort of naturally been, you know, an ROI type of individual. So like return on an investment, you know, and that's sort well, that's of that's nice the, too. Well, that's been the, <laughs> the ideal situation is that's the way it works. Um, so that's always sort of been my goal and my my like goal orientation in regards to business ownership and, and starting businesses. And I hadn't really thought about the opportunity to sort of give and share. From I mean, they're clearly giving, you know, and but but. You know, as I sit with my partners and, and have conversations, and, and you mentioned this to me, I, I realize how much they actually enjoy, like, 
me and the, us together, and like that's the point is is sort of like we're have, we're enjoying this. Like let's yeah, there's let's there's keep trying it. Let's keep trying to do this. You know, there's there's social and intellectual fulfillment. I think that comes from working with people. That comes from you know involving yourself in in organizations that are different than than you're normally in. Um, yeah, you people people really want to share. I think they want to share their experiences they want to share their you know lessons that they've learned yeah i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, think I, don't, I don't really have much else to say about that one and, and but but it does sort of relate back to the charities and and red and brain tumor foundation and all these sort of things heritage radio network i've certainly helped contribute to mm-hmm. this as well um you know it's sort of about building awareness and the ability to give and and it's it's fulfilling. Yeah. And realizing that what you have to give is not limited to your wallet. Yeah, Although yeah. this, you know, on Heritage Radio Network, when the next fun drive comes up, we will be looking at your wallets. Thank you in advance. But ultimately, the money is what makes the world go round. And, and yeah. without it, you know, none of these charities and nothing exists, you know, without it. So it's, it's, it's the necessary evil or wonderful thing or however you want to look at money in your life it's something that is necessity and you need to understand that and respect it and it's something that I, I'm happy I'm in a position to help people get the, that get that in particular and and you know help and also be in a position to allow that to happen and it's not necessarily financially for me but I'm in a position to get people to come together and give yeah. money and that's you know, I, I can give. It's a powerful place. Give space and give time and give. You know, Alonda, we've used several occasions, and and it's something that, you know, that's how you ask how chefs can contribute, and and that's really the way. You know, it's through awareness. Number one, I think through the p- persona and the public eye, we're getting more and more out there in the world, so more people are paying attention to us, so that helps spread the the word or whatever it may be. But the other side of it is our our ability to provide food and our ability to provide space and our ability to provide positivity and labor and people and all of those things are an opportunity and a way for us to sort of help any charity camaraderie community yeah yeah so let's say let's say we've inspired someone with our little uh and and a show ranting Uh um what could an eater do what could a person do um to support and contribute to red like what you know what are what are their actions i mean i guess come visit you i mean they can come visit me they can come visit i mean i think there's hundreds of restaurants involved in this you know i don't know how what sort of percentage each restaurant is giving to for each dish they're selling um i think but the dishes will be marked as they'll red. All be, they'll all be marked as red. So there's so for 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 Alonda in that particular case, we do a spaghetti vongole, spaghetti and clams, um, and we have a, a white option and we have a red option in you know, and it has the parentheses around it and and it's in bold, so it's red. So that particular dish, the percentage goes to it. Um, I was in Alder the other day, and and Wiley Dufresne had a dish that was marked red, and I ordered it. You know, like for. Just because it was it was a cocktail, actually, it wasn't a dish. So I mean, I'm, <laughs> not a tough sell for so me. So you I ordered too. Yeah, it's not a tough sell, I guess. Um, but that being said, I picked that one over the other eight because I, I, you know, I recognized what it was for, and and I and I thought that that would be, you know, a small way anyway for me to continue to contribute. 
Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, it's, 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 it's a fun way. It's a fun way that people can contribute, that people can participate. And think about how many people walk through a restaurant's door every day and look at the menu and see that. And I mean, I'm hoping ultimately that's more important than anything else. Red has really become a a brand of its own and and it's really become something iconic in, in a sense. And, and the more you continue to see brand placement and awareness, the more it helps anyone. And I mean, we have, you know, hundreds, thousands of people coming through my doors every week. And and it's something that every single person looks at that and, and it's just continue reinforce, continued reinforcement and continued awareness of what this brand is and, and what it represents. Um, and, but it also is still a fight that continues to need, need and continues and needs to be fought. I, you know, we went, I did line up with my staff the first day we started it and no one knew what it represented. They all knew the ad campaign and they all knew the, what it looked like. And they were like, oh, one, one was like, they did something with Motorola a few years ago, right? And I was like, yeah. But no one sort of knew what it represented. And that only reinforced the importance of us participating and getting my team to know so that hopefully, I mean, maybe it's only five people we affect a day in the restaurant or whatever. But it's still five people that didn't know what it represented. And, and that's... Well, and you have to think, add to, the, add to those five people, your staff. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, it's it's just awareness and getting people to know about it and and i think that that is how everyone can help and and restaurants with the frequency of new people walking through the door offers a great opportunity for many many people to see this yeah and to personally personally introduce someone yeah yeah i mean and through you get these you get little uh you get little ambassadors now yeah you, you train get to, you your, your, your servers and they do a great job and and they become ambassadors i mean mm-hmm. That, that's the world I live in because I, I sell yeah. heritage breed meat. Yeah, um, yeah. So we do staff talks all the time to get the servers like, you know, let's let's taste it. Let's try it. And then and then you can yeah, go cool. out into the world and, and help spread the world. It's it's about establishing connections. And, and ultimately, we can all use social media or Facebook or whatever it may be to try and establish connections. But but ultimately, what people want is personal connections. And that's what as a business person in any business, whether you're a lawyer or you're a doctor or whatever, you're you're establishing connections with people, and and that is, you you mentioned grassroots, but that's the root of all business and all establishments, yeah. and and that's something that any opportunity to do that through a charity or through the restaurant or through your food or through drinks or whatever it is, any opportunity to do that is is a positive opportunity. Absolutely. Um, Chef, thank you so much for for stopping by, coming in studio. Well, we're happy to be here. You get you guys, you guys, you guys <laughs> seem to get me out to Brooklyn more often than anybody else. So we're we're, we're, we're happy to be here. Is it the pizza? It's Is it total, the free it's pizza? Totally the pizza. <laughs> All right, and cool. and I mean the, the awesome. Network. <laughs> no, the awesome, I mean we. I've 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 done my best to help support this network, and 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 it's. And it's continued to be to be positive, a positive influence and and a, a positive interaction for me. And I'll, I'll continue to help where I can. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate cool. it and look cool. forward to the next time we get to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alexis. All right. Well, happy Sunday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Somebody